Thank you. All right, have a seat. Thank you, Pastor Jesse. Great to be here with Jesse and Lauren. Last time I preached, uh, I think it was last April, and um, it was like there was like a tornado watch. It was, and it was my, it was, it was like my first time here in Iowa, and it was just very appropriate. Um, you know, I thought that thought that the roof was going to come off. Um, so it does look like it's going to be sunny tonight. So I'm pretty happy to be here <laughs> in better conditions. Um, okay, so. I'll tell you what, I'm going to preach, uh, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, to be quite honest with you, uh, but tonight I'm going to uh, teach um, a passage of scripture that you're probably familiar with, and then um, tomorrow morning, I'm going to share a completely different sermon. So if, if you want to double dip, I don't know if you're a double dipper, okay, but if you want to double dip... Double dip, okay? Because we're going to do something different tomorrow, um, and um, hopefully you'll get something out of it. Okay, here we go. Numbers 13, uh, we're going to start reading here. Um, this is a, a pretty popular story. You're probably, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably know the story. Um, and what's just happened in the narrative here is Moses has just led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they go into the wilderness. And the wilderness is only supposed to be a very short operation. Just a little camping, short little camping trip. Um, and they're going to get to know God who delivered them and showed up. And you ever seen the movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Yeah. Let my people go. Right? Um, so... Uh, so it's, it's amazing, and they're getting to know God, and it's pretty cool. And then they are about to go into the promised land. And so what happens is God tells Moses, I want you to pick 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and I want you to send them in to the promised land, this, this land where I'm taking you, um, and, and you know spy it out and, and bring them back. So this is where we are in the narrative. So we're going to start reading here, Numbers 13, 16. I think we have it on the screen behind us. Do we have it? Yes, we do. It's brilliant. Okay. Uh, so these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Did a little name change for one of the guys before he goes on this big trip. Let's keep reading. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go into the hill country. Uh, next verse, and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. You know, give me all the details here. Whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, uh, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. <laughs> Looking for a lot of details there. It's like my wife sending me to the grocery store. And you needed to write things down. I always tell her, text me. Just text me. Don't tell me. Text me. Right? Because if you tell me, it won't come back. Right? Half of it won't come back. If you text me, I'll bring the goods back. Then I don't have an excuse. Right? Yeah. So, so Moses is texting them all of the details. Be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rahab near Lebo Hamath. 
they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai. These are like Lord of the Ring type names, right? It's pretty cool. The descendants of Anak were there. Okay, strike one. I don't know if you've ever read Frank Peretti, but you'll never sleep again. Okay? The descendants of Anak are in his book, This Present Darkness. It's terrifying. Um, the descendants of Anak are giants, okay? And so the descendants of Anak there, so that's, the reader is reading this, you know, the original audience, they're going, yikes, right? Hebron was built seven years before Zona in Egypt. It's a little aside for the reader. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. Let's just hold on for a second. That's ridiculous. Um, and that is meant to evoke a little bit of laughter. Like, th that's insane. And, and, and the reason why God sends the spies in to, to see the land and to, to see the fruit is because God's trying to tell them, the place that I'm bringing you is so good that it's ridiculous. You'll, you'd never believe how good the future is unless you saw it. And so you need to carry it back. You know, they're kind of doing like a back to the future type thing. You know what I mean? They're going to go in, they get it, they get the DeLorean, see the future, bring back the grapes. Don't forget the cannolis. Okay, so they're carrying these. Have you ever, now, I don't know if you've ever seen a big cluster of grapes before, but typically you can, they're one-handers. You know what I'm saying? So my wife is Australian. She speaks English with a speech impediment. You know, we're, we're praying for them. We're praying for them. Um, and, of, and so we were, we, were in, um, we were in South Australia at a vineyard in February, which I think is the, it's like their August. And so the, the grapes are about to, to, to come off. And we're at this, this beautiful vineyard. And they had about 12 um, kind of lines of grapes, uh, you know, vines or whatever, out in the front of this, this vineyard, and they were just for people that were visiting to go check out, and there was these 12 different grape varietals that they had, and the grapes were just amazing, and so the people that were there were just saying, hey, just folks go out and just try the grapes. And like, what do you mean try the grapes? I can eat them? Like, eat them, squeeze them, drink them, do whatever you want to them, you know, like, I'm like, great. So I'm going there, I'm like grabbing these grapes, squeezing these grapes into my mouth like a Greek god, you know what I mean, just grabbing them, my wife is over there. She's like, I think I found the Pinot Noir ones. I'm like, I'm over at the Cab Sav. This is insane, right? <laughs> so we're tasting the grapes. And once again, these clusters, were they were tiny clusters. They're not, they're not big clusters. They're tiny clusters. The bees actually started to come out um, because I was squeezing all of the juice, and they smelled it, and then they started to go after me. It was pretty sad. Um, long story short, God's goodness is ridiculous. His future goodness is ridiculous. And he's always wanting to bring his, his people, both corporate and individually, into a ridiculous goodness. That's his heart. Okay? So, they also brought some pomegranates and figs. I think maybe Moses was not regular, and so he needed some figs there. Um, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel. Eshkol literally means cluster uh, the, because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Okay. At the end of 40 days, 
they returned from spying out the land. Now, I want you to notice, we're going to continue reading here. There's two reports that you're going to see here. Two reports, okay? Um, so let's, here we go. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Okay? And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. That's ancient Near Eastern hyperbole for fully loaded. Right? Right? It flows with milk and honey. I just got a new truck. It flows with milk and honey. Right? Power windows, power seats, leather. You hear me, right? It's the works. That's what milk and honey means, okay? So this is the hyperbole of goodness. And this is its fruit. So they show them the fruit. They talk about the milk and honey. Um, and people are like, wow, this is ridiculous. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, that's the first report. Okay, the first, let's just read the first report one more time. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And we saw the, the giants there. Okay, so it's like, okay, you're, they're just giving them the facts, right? Those are facts. There's nothing wrong with facts. You hearing me? Right? Like, you want to know what kind of trouble you're getting into when you're getting into something. Does that make sense? So, so far, that first report there, it's, okay, it's factual, right? There's going to be some obstacles in between us and the very large grapes. Okay. Let's keep reading. The Amalekites dwell on the land of the Negev. Okay, so we're adding to the first report here. This is the first report. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the all of the mosquito bites are there. The Canaanites, okay? This is a well-populated place. It's not just a free-for-all. You hearing me? Right? Um, let's keep reading. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Obviously, they're starting to go, okay, this is going to be a problem. There's some obstacles here. And this is what he says. Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, now this is the second report. Okay, second report. Here we go. We're not able to go up against that people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. Here's the bad report, the second report of the land that they had spied out, saying, now here it is, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now that wasn't in the first report. Right now the land eats people. You hearing me? Right? That's ridiculous. That's as ridiculous, that's like a counter-ridiculous to the ridiculous grapes. You hearing me? Right? It's like, dude, land doesn't eat people. But these are, the land eats people, man. Right? <laughs> Let's keep reading. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And all the people, let's finish, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Now everybody's a giant. Right, you notice that? The first report didn't have that in it. The first report said the descendants of Anak. It's like, okay, there's some giants. Now everybody's a giant, right? And there we saw the Nephilim. Oh, they're Nephilim now. The Nephilim, the sons, the sons of Anak. Now, if you remember Genesis 6, if you've ever been casually reading Genesis 6 lately, Genesis 6 is this fantastic 
supernatural, super crazy chapter in the book of Genesis where the sons of God, or angels presumably, see beautiful human ladies, pretty women walking down the street, pretty women, kind of like to meet pretty women, right? And they make these women their wives. And they have this offspring, and this offspring is called the Nephilim. They're half angel, and they're half human. It's this other race. Not human, not angel. And they're very large. They're giants, okay? They're, they're freaks. You hearing me? Okay, so, now this is what, the, this is what Second Temple Judea, uh, uh, Judaism taught. Like, so, Second Temple Judaism is the Judaism of Jesus' day, of Paul's day. They believed that the world got really bad in Genesis chapter 6, when, when the Nephilim started. So, the reader's reading this, and they're going, Nephilim, right? So, this is the second, the, the second report, remember? It's getting bad now. We got... Um, the land that devours its inhabitants, everybody's a giant, and the giants are Nephilim. Yeah. Right? You hearing me? Yeah. Okay. Who came from the Nephilim, and they seem, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so now, and we're grasshoppers now. Now we're grasshoppers. Are you seeing this? And so we seemed to them. Well, obviously, the congregation is going to be a little bit freaked out. We'll keep reading here. They're gonna, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. They're sad. They're sad. Of course, they're, they're crying. <laughs> they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation, all of them, said to him, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. I mean, that's a stupid thing to say. Right? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? And God's like, you know, we might run with that, actually. That could be a good idea. Let's keep reading. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? No, it would not be better to go back to Egypt. You want to know why? There's nothing left. Egypt is a smoldering ruin. The Nile's blood... The locusts ate all of the crops. All of their, their pets' heads are falling off. Right? Everything's, everybody's dead. You plundered them. You took all their gold. They're not going to be happy to see you. It's the worst idea ever, bro. Right? And then they said to one another, look, they're, they're acting crazy. Right? Let's, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. You are literally nuts right now. Right? Because when you, are, when you are afraid, you start making really bad decisions. Right? When you're fearful, when you're fearful and you're beside yourself, you begin to catastrophize. Catastrophization. It's what you do on your bed at night. Right? Oh, oh the whole world's going to blow up. I just saw Oppenheimer, man. It's just only a matter of time, dude. <laughs> We're all going to blow up. Oh, this is two nuclear warheads. They're going to collide in midair, and we're all going to be toast, dude. <laughs> right? Come on. Oh, R Russia and Ukraine, they're fighting, dude. I'm, I'm going to cancel my trip to Italy. I'm not going to Europe, dude. I just can't risk it, man. Come on. 
catastrophization. Oh, the market, dude. Oh, oh the market, man. I'm not going to build that, that building. I'm not going to start a business. I'm not going to buy a house. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to do anything, dude. I think Jesus is coming back. Like, any second now, man. I'm, not gonna, I'm just, I'm just going to... Catastrophization. Oh, there's a disease out there. There's COVID, man. I got a mask up. I got to put another mask. I got to put a mask over my eyes. I need like a thousand masks. I'm going to create underwear masks. Masks for my face. I'm just masking. I want a giant mask around my entire body. I'll never go outside again. Catastrophization. Right? And, and we've all been there. We've all been there where we start to, right, right? like you have like a, a crate, like you see something and then you're like, and then you start, you, right, your, your, your mind starts to just go really dark places. You ever been there, right, and you're just like trying to sleep and you're, act, you're, you're oh, what if I, oh, I definitely, I have all, all the diseases. I'm dying. I'm dying right now. I have a disease. There's diseases everywhere. Oh, oh, am I having a heart attack? Am I having a heart attack? I have a pain. I had a little pain. I think I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> no, you're having a panic attack because you're catastrophizing. Come on. Come on, this is like, this is being human. We have these moments. Some of us are better at this than others. They're catastrophizing. They're whipping themselves up into an absolute nightmare terror. Let's keep reading. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the, of the congregation of the people of Israel. Now, Moses and Aaron typically fall on their faces when fire is about to come out from the Lord and burn everybody. Right? And so Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, they see Moses and Aaron hit the deck, and they're like, oh dear, this is going to be bad. Right? They tear their clothes because <laughs> they know this whole thing is about to turn into a funeral pyre. Right? And so they say to the congregation, they're tearing their clothes and they're going, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Yeah. Trying to calm these people down, pull them out of their, their catastrophization. If the Lord delights in us, yes, he does. He just delivered us from Egypt. He destroyed the Egyptian empire because he likes us. You might not feel like you're loved by God, but he delights in you. We have these moments where we don't feel loved by God. Oh, God doesn't love me. He, he is so ticked at me right now. Yep, I didn't go see Sound of Freedom. I didn't see it, I know. And now the Lord, his anger waxeth hot against me. Right? I, I, oh, yeah, God is so angry right now. I, I said a bad word. I stubbed my toe, and a certain choice Scottish adjectives came out of my mouth. And I think that the Lord just gave me cancer. Come on. Come on. It's funny because it's true. We think like that. Oh, God's going to strike. Oh, I'm going to die an early, horrible death because I laughed at something that's really bad on the internet yesterday. <laughs> My friend sent me a meme, and it was so wrong, but it was so right, but it was so wrong. And I laughed, and now God is angry at me. I just know it. 
<laughs> Come on. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. He will. He will. And he will give it to us. And then here's the hyperbole of faith again. A land that flows with milk and honey, it's fully loaded. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. Why? Because God's with us. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. There's this passage in Revelation 21.8. Revelation 21.8. Now, if you've read the book of Revelation recently, it's one of those books that I like to get through rather quickly. I don't like spending time in the book of Revelation. I like spending time in the book of John or Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. Yeah, I lack nothing. Right? The book of Revelation, like people are dying everywhere. You know, you feel like you're, it's like the, the, the scriptural version of Escape from New York. Do you know what I mean? Like it's apocalyptic. It's a little, you're nervous. People are dying. You're like, I hope I'm not around for this. Right? There's all these horrible things happening. There's a beast. It's crazy. It's like, and you're just you're wanting to get to the end of the book because you know at the end of the book, Jesus comes back and he sorts the world out. And so we're sort of at the end of the book here in Revelation 21. And so you see Jesus dealing with the, like the, the rebellion and the sin and these perpetrators of unrighteousness. And so, and he's dunking them in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And so there's the faithless dunk, the detestable dunk, murderers, double dunk, sexually immoral dunk, Harry Potter, triple dunk, idolaters, <laughs> dunk, liars, dunk, dunk them, just dunk them real good, God. Their portion will be in the lake that burns it. And you're like, yeah, yeah. But the problem is that I see my name <laughs> in the top. It says the cowardly. Right? And I'm like, no, Bible, no. No, Jesus, no. Everybody else but the cowardly. Let the cowards come in, God. My younger brother, Gabriel, he's 18 months younger than me. And my brother, Gabriel, is the bravest person that I know. He is, he is William Wallace, brave heart, face painted blue at all times. <laughs> right? That's my brother. He's, he's nuts. And he makes me, he's one, he's one of those people that you just get nervous being around because you know he's going to do something crazy at any moment. Do you have a friend like that? He's like, I don't like hanging out with you because I get so much anxiety being around you. Like, if I go to breakfast somewhere, I don't know, he's going to start talking about Trump or something to, like, a waiter. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't just, just keep it down. You know what I mean? Like, you're at an 11, bring it to a 2. Do you know what I mean? Like, just dial it back for me. Like, it's just, you're embarrassing me. I don't know what's going to come out of your mouth. I'm scared. I'm terrified. He, Gabe is a, he's a, he's a giant provoker. That's my brother. He loves it. He loves to just mix it up with people. And I, I'm, and I just become a nervous wreck. And he's been like this ever since I could remember. He was always the first one in our friend group to jump off of a bridge into, like, a water at a, or at a lake or, you know, at the quarry. Gabe will go up, and, and I won't even be looking. Like, ah, ah. I remember in Portland, Oregon, at Bible College, Gabe jumped off of an 80-foot bridge. 
And there was a warning that, that the, the, there's a, a local ordinance. It's like, don't jump off, fines will apply. And a local kid said, yeah, anybody that gets caught by the cops, they go to suicide school. Right? That's my brother. It's like, you don't want to live? What's wrong with you? <laughs> right? That's Gabe. Like, yeah! Gabe was always the, the guy who, when, when we'd go to Six Flags, our annual church uh, trip to Six Flags as a youth group, he was the first one on all the rides. You know, this, all the, all, and, and stand up roller coaster, every loop to loop, you know, like all of that stuff, bungee jumping, whatever. Gabe loves that stuff. And I would, I'm a coward. By, by nature, I'm a fraidy cat. I'm a scaredy cat. I'm not like that. I got a vivid imagination. I got it from my mom. You know, my mom, we call my mom Debbie Downer. <laughs> my mom knows every way that you could die in any given situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? At Thanksgiving, she'll be like, well, 37% of, of people that eat turkey choke on it, so just chew your food slowly. I'm like, thanks, Debbie. Right? She knows every, every possible way you could die. And so th that's been, and I'm, a, I'm the firstborn. I was like, I'm my mother's delight. And so she's given me all of her fears. Because <laughs> I'm the one that'll pick her phone calls up still. You know what I mean? And it, every single time, it's like, well, you know, were you in New York? Did you wash your hands every time? You know that you shouldn't be eating pork in New York. You could get a, I, I was reading about a young Jewish kid who ate some pork over in New York, and he got some sort of brain worm and died. So just be careful. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's good to hear from you. Um, so that, that's me. Okay, Gabe's a bit more like my dad. He's just, you know, he, I remember Gabe jumping off, like we, on a family vacation, my brother jumping off a rock, and my dad looking over at me like, you gonna go? And I'm like, yes, father. You know, like, <laughs> be more like your brother. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want a life where I'm like I'm destroying giants. Yeah. Just to be honest with you, yeah. you know, I, I want to. I like short giants with pool noodles. <laughs> That's more my pace. You know what I mean? The, what, the promised land? Yes, Lord, yeah, yeah. It's guarded by four-year-olds? Send me in, God. I will destroy them. <laughs> yeah, like, that's more my... Gabe, though, is... Right, so for me, with my anxiety and, and, and my, my vivid imagination, anxiety is fear of future pain. And so I've got this, I, I catastrophize, uh, that's me, I'm that guy. And so, you know, when I see problems, I kind of hide and I get nervous about stuff. And, and thankfully, I have a dad who, you know, taught me that, you, you know, if you, nothing good happens if you're lazy and if you're scared, you know, you, you got to be bold, you got to be strong. And so I've had to learn that. That's, sec that's become a second nature for me. But my first nature, my knee jerk is to run. Okay? Anxiety, a little bit of anxiety is actually healthy. God gave you a little bit of fear and it, it's meant to save you. Right? So you should have a, you should have a little. And, and I see that, that that first report that they gave, it's a, it's a good report. As in, hear me out, there's some giants, there's some, it's well populated, right? Like they're just given the facts, right? And I think what happens is these guys misunderstand the assignment. Because the thing is that the promised land was never on them. It was always on God. 
right? The, the, the promised land wasn't their idea. It was God's idea, right? These guys have mistakenly thought that they're the ones who delivered themselves from Egypt. So they're th- when they're looking at the giants and all the problems, they're going, they're panicking. And they have every right to panic, right? And you should have a little bit of anxiety that'll protect you, right? Like, like so, so it's, that's cool. You got a little bit, but the problem is, dude, it's not about you. So if you have anxiety about things that you're not called to, for example, you should, that's good. Yeah, you should be concerned about getting into situations that God's not called you to, right? Because God won't be in it. But you don't need to have anxiety about what Jesus has called you to, right? Because if God's called you to it, then he's the one who's going to take care of it, right? Right? God's going to bring you into your promised land. You hearing me? This, this is how faith works. Faith doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with you. I think there's a lot of Christians who are confused about this. So let's, let's get some clarity about how faith works, okay? Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. That's what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the quickened word of Christ. That's how faith comes. Faith doesn't start with what you want. Faith comes by hearing. So for example... Uh, let's say that I want a Cadillac Escalade, brand new Cadillac Escalade, right? And I want the, the rims, and I want a turret on the top, mounted, um, and you know what I mean? And I want like a snowplow thing on the front of it, and I want the spinning rims, and the bells and whistles, fully loaded, flowing with milk and honey, okay? It, it, it may, like, if I pray a prayer of hope, that's cool. I can ask God for anything because he's my father, Right? In fact, when you pray, that's proof that adoption has occurred. You should be asking God for stuff. Right? Because he's your dad. Right? We cry. It's through the spirit that we cry, Abba. Right? And we pray these prayers, okay? So, but if God hasn't told me that I can have the Escalade, I'm not praying a prayer of faith. I'm praying a prayer of hope. You hearing me? Right? Because faith comes by hearing. So these guys should have faith for the promised land because it was God's idea, not theirs. And what we're seeing here is catastrophization because they've not, they've, they have, it's the catastrophization of rebellion because they have heard, this isn't their idea, it's God's idea. For some reason, though, they're rejecting that it's God's idea, and they think that it's on themselves, and so they're beginning to catastrophize. But really, it's cowardice. Now, the, the, the book of Revelation, you know, this verse isn't about sending people to hell who don't like roller coasters, thankfully. Right? Thankfully, thankfully, you know, if you go to the fair this weekend and you see those crazy people on those very unsafe machines, I might add, Okay, I don't know, anybody, anybody gone on like anything crazy at the fair this weekend? Yes, we're all praying for you. <laughs> um, you know, like that, that's great. Um, but the book of Revelation is talking about the cowards who have become 
unfaithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. One of the themes of the book of Revelation is faithful witness. Will you stay true to Jesus come hell or high water? That's the question. So the book of Revelation is there's, this, there's the beast and there's these persecutions. There's the souls under the altar. There's all kinds of things that are happening. And people are being tempted to deny Jesus. Right? They're going to leave Jesus and they're going to go and do these things. And, and Jesus is calling us to be faithful witnesses, to be a faith. No, Jesus, I'm sticking with you. And that's the type of cowardice here that we're seeing in, in, in this story. Because these guys have become unfaithful witnesses. They're supposed to be a faithful witness to Yahweh, to his plans, to his purposes, to his designs. But they've misunderstood the assignment. They're thinking that it's all about them. And Moses is calling it rebellion. We've got some challenges. In fact, Numbers 14.9. Let's just put this up really quickly. Numbers 14.9. Do not rebel against the Lord. So really quickly, he, just, he, he nails it right there. Joshua understands what's happening here. It's not just that you're scared, because we, all, we can all be scared of stuff. Okay? The issue is, is that you know God's revealed will in this situation. And yet you, you, you refuse to recognize that it's God's will for us to move into the promised land. And because you begin to, you, now you're catastrophizing and you're giving into a spirit of fear that's not from God, you've become a rebel. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. Same sentence. Challenges in the church. We've got some challenges in the church. There's a lot of challenges in the church. And I think that people are being tempted to become unfaithful witnesses. Right? Because we, we take less social, you know, less politically hostile stances because we fear the people of the land. We fear the giants. We fear, you know, oh, I don't want people to come at us. And no, you know, I'm not going to, there's some parts of the Bible that I'm going to begin to tear out because I just, you know, I don't want to cop it at work. I, I don't want to have to deal with my friends, you know, not liking me. And right, and I've, I mean, I travel, I do a lot of youth conferences, do a lot of youth stuff. I think that there are a lot of young people who, who are struggling with this. They're on, the, they're on the brink of becoming an unfaithful witness. And they're ca catering to brands of Christianity that you just tear, tear the pages of the Bible out. Right? Because, because they're, they're so obsessed with being in the, in, the, in the right group on TikTok. You know? And so they found the TikTok person and the, the TikTok Christianity that lets them, you know, be the empathetic hero in everybody's life and make Jesus look like the bad guy. And, and we become, and, and we stop being a faithful witness. That, that's cowardice. And G Jesus is saying, no, no, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. We, we're at a, a y'all know this, we, we're at a huge precipice as a church. And the question will be, Will we remain faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ or will we embrace the beast and his system and worship him? No. No, God has a, a, God has a good land for us. God has a promised land for us. It flows with milk and honey. If you saw it, 
it would be ridiculous to your eye. And we need to be faithful to the Lord and his word, knowing his revealed will. Numbers 13, 16. Numbers 13, 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Josh's name, right before he goes into uh, the 40-day the, the 40, the 40 camping trip, the spying trip, his name was Hoshea. And Hoshea means I save. Like it's on me. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. God saves. Right, so he goes into the promised land and Hosea would have seen the giants and would have pooped his pants. Come on. Come on, diaper change. I'm headed back to camp. I'm done. I've seen everything that I need to see. I'm out. Right, he would have seen, he would have seen the Nephilim. Diaper change. Right, he would have seen all of the, the, the seven-nation army. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, we, we, we're not going to be able to deal with these guys. Right? But Joshua sees the seven-nation army and the Nephilim and wonders how God is going to destroy these guys. Right? He's just imagining it. Is, it, is he going to send like an angelic camel gang with matching vests and they're just going to destroy these? Is he going to be a cannonball that God shoots with fire, just lights these dudes up? I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm imagining it. Right? I'm stirring up my prophetic imagination because I know that God has called us to this and I'm going to resist the imagination of catastrophization. I'm not going down that path. I'm going to begin to imagine God's goodness, his faithfulness, his leading, his guiding, his opening doors, his sending help. Come on. That's what's happening. Joshua is fighting catastrophization with the hyperbole of faith. The imagination of faith. And that name change, imagine, you know, like the, the boys are calling him Yeshua now all the time. You know, say, so, hey, you know, Josh, you're up on, you know, you're, you're, you're starting the fire tonight. And he's like, Josh, oh, that's me. Yeah, Yahweh saves, right? So it becomes, an, it's an identity piece for him that equips him to see what he needs to see in the face of the impossible. Yahweh saves. God saves. It was God's idea. It's not my idea. See, this is why you have to get a word from God. This is why you need to know scripture. This is why you need to know what the church is called to and what you're called to as a Christian. Because if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be removed. It's not your, it's not your size of faith that's the problem. It's getting a word that's the issue. This is why we need to be people of Scripture, knowing God's will. What is God's will for the church of Jesus Christ? You want to know God's will? Okay, Jesus said he's building the church. He didn't say that he's building anything else. Right? Jesus is building his church. He is superintending it. We see it in the book of Revelation. He's walking among the candlesticks. He is still walking among the candlesticks right now. Come on, he's looking at this church right now. And he's looking, he's looking at our works. He's looking at our deeds. He's looking at our faith. He's going, he's championing us on. Jesus is building his church. Numbers 13, 32. 
they brought to the people of Israel a bad report, and they said, you know, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, devours its inhabitants. My title for this sermon, I didn't give it, but it's Sharks with Laser Beams. <laughs> sharks with Laser Beams. And if you, want, if you want sharks with laser beams on their foreheads, right? Because, because <laughs> when he says the land devours its inhabitants, it's as ridiculous as saying we saw sharks with laser beams on their foreheads. We saw, we saw sharks with laser no, It's landlocked. There's no, there's, no, there's no ocean there, bro. Yeah, I know. They came out of a sharknado. And it was insane, dude. And there's a sharknado, and then they spat out... Dude, what are you talking about? What are you smoking? It's ridiculous. You know, God has called your church to a promised land, to a good land. He wants to, he, I believe that you're scratching the surface you're part of the church. Jesus is building his church. You're scratching the surface of everything that God wants to do. And, when, and, and, and you just watch. You just watch as things will begin to grow. And as God will begin to continue to bless you. And, and your numbers will grow because a, 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 the Acts church is a growing church where thousands were added. God added daily to the church those that he was saving. So that's, that's what's going to happen. When the Spirit of God is moving, people are being added to the church. God's adding people to the church. And that's what's going to happen. And what will happen is Pastor Jesse is going to get up, and we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to go take the land, and there's going to be people that will begin to catastrophize. Yeah. And the reason that they'll begin to catastrophize, there'll be two reasons. Number one, they don't know the revealed will of God for the church. Or number two, they think that it's all on themselves. Yeah. And, and what you need to know about the church, and you need to settle it in your heart today, is that Jesus is building his church. And in times of uncertainty, in times of uncertainty, you know, what do we do in times of uncertainty? Friends, are we living in times of uncertainty, yes or no? Absolutely. Things are totally crazy right now. Stock market, real estate, supply chains, oil, war, rumors of war, whatever. You know, and what do you do with your money? What do you do with your time? What do you do with your talents? And you, you, you're hearing me. Your investments. What, what, God, what do I do in your world? Let me tell you this. If Elon Musk and Warren Buffett moved all of their assets into one stock, would you think about maybe investing in that? Would you? Here's a better one. What if Nancy Pelosi moved all of her investments into something? Right? What if Paul and Nancy sold everything they have and they buy into one stock? What are you doing? Right? And Elon and Warren follow suit. What are you doing? No, you're, dude, you're doing the same thing that they are. Right? Because they have an inside scoop that you don't. Right? You're supposed to trust People that know stuff. Jesus is all in on the church. He's moved, he's pushed everything, all of his chips, he's moved in. He's all in. God, what do I do 
with my life? What do I do with my treasure? Where is a place that I can invest? And what, are you, what have you called me to? God's called you to the church. Jesus is building the church. This is good ground, good soil. Jesus knows something about the future that you don't. He wants the best for you. He wants the best return on your life, your investments, your talent, your time. You hearing me? You, you, what we need are Christians who know what Jesus is up to in times of uncertainty so that we're not moved by, there's sharks with laser beams. Because there's going to be a lot of people who are screaming, sharks with laser beams. Why don't you stand up? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your church, Lord. And, and God, I just thank you, Jesus, that you hold the future. Jesus, thank you that you, th this thing isn't on us. It's not on us. Lord, the church isn't, it's not on us. It's, it's totally and completely on you. And Jesus, you know the ending from the beginning. I thank you, Lord, that you began this good work and you're going to be faithful to complete it. And God, I ask you that in the coming days, in the coming days, that you would speak clearly. Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see what it is that you're doing. Help us to see it, God, with the, with the eyes of faith, to know, to be so uh, counseled by your word, counseled by the scriptures knowing your purposes, knowing your, your good purposes that would chase away fear, that would chase away doubt. And God, I ask you that your Holy Spirit would stir up that prophetic imagination in a fresh way. Lord, I thank you for what is to come for this church. Lord, I thank you for new ground. Father, I thank you for new everything. God, just a newness. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is breathing life here. And God, I thank you for the people that are coming home to Jesus. Lord, I thank you for a growing, spirit-filled church, a church that takes ground, a church that is a threat to the enemy. Lord, I thank you for a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against, a church that is invading hell. And God, I ask you that we would not, we'd stop counseling the ten cowards. But we would, we would counsel Caleb's, people who know their God, know the purposes of God, that we would be Caleb's God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.